Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I'm Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, the Technology Analyst. How's it going, Steve? Dude, it's going great. It's a hot day today. What's going on at the test bed this week? Um, nothing's really happening with the test bed as of yet, but the key word there being yet. We've got big news um, starting... Uh, this time, two weeks from now, uh, well, next week, the office is opening back up, yep. which is a good sign for the test bed. And that means uh, two weeks from now, or by the next episode, we will have the test bed back up and running and fully operational again. Awesome. So that's kind of big. You excited to get out of the house for a little bit? Dude, I am so excited <laughs> to be at. I mean, I've been getting out of the house. I went for a great long hike this past weekend. I've been doing a lot more walks in the morning just to get outside, especially when the weather's still decent. Because yeah. right now, if I was going, if we were to go outside right now, it's disgusting. You would melt. Um, but yeah, um, but uh, yeah, the test bed really excited me. Oh my god, I am going to be so pumped to have my bum back in a proper uh, ergonomic desk chair. <laughs> Not the turds that everyone buys for their house. <laughs> These yeah. are the worst office chairs I've ever sat in ever. I mean, I, I don't have an office. I don't even have an office chair <laughs> at my have room for an office, yeah. but we've, I've got two amazing couches. The problem is couches promote slouching. So <laughs> yes. like from nine to five every weekday, uh, I working from home, I've been slouching and right. you know, I, my back, I'm going to do a chiropractor, a lot of business when everything <laughs> opens back up. You know, when you get back to the office, uh, the amount of dust that's going to be on the test bed is going to be the normal amount of dust in any factory. It's going to be like an inch of dust <laughs> and you're going to shake it off. You're going to have to move it around. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Just like a, a normal factory. I'm worried about my desk. Like it's, it's already dusty as it is, but whatever. Um, that's neither here nor there. So what we got on the articles this week, I think you found a good one from, uh, from our boys in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So the Swiss, a Swiss company has developed a see-through mask. Um, and you know, it, leave it to the Swiss to design <laughs> something to act as a protective cover, but allow it to be see-through. Sure. Like, it, it, it immediately the first thing that popped in my head was, uh, because I collect watches and I love watches. Um, I think of the exhibition case back, something that the Swiss did. So like you, you know, watches are powered by an intricate mechanical movement. And eventually somebody was like, why are we covering this up? <laughs> you know, th there's, there's a crystal piece of glass on, uh, the dial there on the front. So you can see what's, what's your time it is but what about the back like right. watch movements are beautiful it's an entire city of moving parts working every day just to tell you the time you should be able to see that well anyway before i get more anecdotal um it's cool that this swiss company designed a see-through mask um it was brought up this morning in our uh, all staff meeting that uh, some people are a little uh, concerned and freaked out by it and think it's a little weird. And I think you told me earlier that you think it's a little, I think weird. it's a little weird. It looks not natural. But what I like about it, what I really like about it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm a friendly person. At least I'd like to think I'm a friendly person. Sure. Keep and when I go it. out and like, and when I, and when I walk past somebody, if I like to, I like to smile and nod. And sometimes I don't nod. Sometimes I say hi. Um, but you know, contrary to what some of our podcast listeners may think, 
I don't like to talk all the time. So some, most of the time I just like to uh, smile right. as somebody walks past me and I'm wearing sunglasses so they can't see my eyes. But, um, you know, I'd like them, I, I think they can see my face, but, you know, I'm outside and during the pandemic, you know, we're wearing face masks. I get 10 feet past somebody and then I realize, you idiot, they said hi to you. And you didn't acknowledge their presence at all. <laughs> I think you did because you smiled, but then you forgot that you had a face mask on yeah. covering your mouth. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's just, and I think that's what the Swiss are trying to get at. So good for them for at least trying to be polite. Yeah, it might be weird, but they're just trying to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of takers. I mean, there's are people that like within our office, there's uh there are people who have hard of hearing that we're f- rely on kind of reading lips as people talk. So talking through a mask is very difficult for them. Uh, but also the big takeaway is the Swiss are the ultimate showboats, right? They want to show off everything. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, the article I got is from uh, Bill Herman from New Air Assessments. So uh, they are uh, published the an article for us and we published on amtnews.org and they talk okay. about a new way of thinking for additive. And the big thing that I like about this is not just taking what existed before and converting it to uh, a part that's grown. It's changing your entire mindset for additive. So, you know, everyone is really, really excited about talking about additive manufacturing, but this article breaks up in breaks the uh, concept into its core thoughts for business, culture, and product application. So if you take those three elements and break it and break additive up into those segments, um, you get a, a new way to think about how it affects your business. Uh, so some of the early adopters of additive were in aerospace and medical, right? So there's benefits of newly thought of designs that only additive parts can be, can be made. Um, where the designs can significantly harness the value of the designs um, and that require a new engineering approach. Right. Um, I think the, the key phrase that in the article that he mentions is he lets the part be what it wants. Yeah. It's a little abstract, but if you think about it, right, if I just put in uh, the constraints, the external forces, the environmental conditions and the boundary conditions, and I said, right. Add material we need where there's high stress, where there's uh, critical areas. You know, you let the part kind of define itself. I thought that was a, a interesting way to get the full value of additive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that you know immediately come you, you mentioned aerospace. Uh, there's a lot of advanced and, and state of the art rocket and uh, jet engine nozzles mm-hmm. that wouldn't be possible without additive. Yeah, um, GE was. What's uh, that? Who's that San Francisco startup? Um, they they they're in a pink building. Uh, Tri D Dynamics, sure, I think. Sure. Uh, those those guys they uh, they use um, they, they use a method of additive manufacturing where they actually three D printed the nozzle to their uh, their, their combustion chamber. Extrude- yeah, there's, yeah, it's the way that they lay down their material sure. is with a 3D printed rocket nozzle, yep. uh, essentially. Yep. Um, I think one of them is an ex-SpaceX employee or multiple of them. But it's 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 wild stuff. But I can see more um, products and more industries utilizing additive for designs that just simply can't be uh, produced otherwise uh, in the future. Um, one YouTube channel I actually follow called Nighthawk and Light um, did this awesome demonstration of basically how gas can can 
pass through a channel mm-hmm. uh, more effectively if it has like this intricate looking design. And uh, I thought to myself, that would really be really cool for something like automotive exhaust scavenging mm-hmm. um, to, to maximize efficiency and power output. But I only see something like that being made, at least if it's going to be lightweight, which is you know a huge consideration with uh, an automotive application, if it's uh, additively manufactured. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really interesting use cases. Um, the... The thing that he uh, finally ends with is connecting our new technology and manufacturing to design applications to what does the business actually need? What is the consumer going to actually uh, consume? Uh, if you look at the ecosystem within manufacturing, right? if I grow this part, now I've got to machine it at some point. Do I have the uh, clamp locations to hold the part to machine it? Mm-hmm. Um, now that I've machined it, uh, how do I transport that part? A lot of the parts are bare minimums, right? It's maybe you'd consider delicate because I've designed it for an in-use application, but if I designed it for the UPS guy to chuck it across the uh, driveway into the uh, parking lot. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind. You know, what's the return on investment on this final design and will the consumer actually buy it? So you make some really interesting points about the life cycle of a grown part. I never thought about the, uh, you know, you think about, you know, in, in, in some forms of additive manufacturing, um, you all, you not only print the part, but you also print the port support, the, the part supports. So, uh, it doesn't break during manufacturing that I never thought of actually keeping supports on for shipping purposes, sure. Sure. but yeah. you know, like having just ordered, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a, uh, a gaming PC, <laughs> I actually had to, Oh, I didn't realize that there was actually a sticker before like blocking the power plug, uh, saying that before you plug this in, you need to open this up and take this thing out. That's supporting all of the parts internally. Yeah. Uh, because if you try to power and it's for shipping protection yep. and if you try to power it up without taking that, everything's going to overheat and it's going to explode. <laughs> Not really, but you know. It's interesting back at, uh, my previous company, they had checklists for everything. They're a big corporations. So they had checklists mm-hmm. for just coming into work, but they had design checklists and some of it was carried over from like the, uh, electronics divisions and mm-hmm. packaging was one of the, um, one of the design checklists and we're designing oh. this big pneumatic tool, uh, pneumatic, uh, duct systems. So put in a box and ship it. That was our instructions. But there are certain things that are, you have to be more delicate. We did get, you know, a few parts back that were dented, you know, either yeah. the, it moved to the shipping or the uh, packaging move around, or we didn't package it properly where this O28 stainless steel wall tubing got uh, hit with a forklift. <laughs> so this cases like that, where you have to consider um, uh, packaging and shipping and handling logistics as a, a design requirement. Right. What was the, this is a kind of tangent, but, uh, well, it's definitely tangent, but what's the, like the most broken thing you've ever received in the mail? Other than actually not receiving the package or object? Yeah. Yeah. Like actually made it to you, but you look at the the box and it's just like, that's not going to work right. You know, it's, it's broken. Um, that's a good question. Personally, probably something, some furniture that had glass. I've received, uh, stuff that, or the glass is broken. Uh, right. professionally, um, probably test equipment that didn't work. We've bought like, um, uh, hydraulic clamps that don't mm-hmm. actuate or, um, Interesting. Uh, some wow. parts that don't fit properly. Cause, uh, you know, for whatever reason. 
That's yeah. the biggest failure is probably probably tooling that commercial tooling that doesn't fit. That's probably out of spec. Got it. Got it. I have seen, um, you know, ordering car parts, you know, you, you, you can go with some companies and they put all of the R and D into the product design. And then when it gets in the box and makes it to you, it's like, what happened? Right. Clearly all of the money went into something else. I, I've, I've, I've got friends who've received suspension components yeah. and like half of their shock absorber was through the cardboard box. Yeah. That does remind me. I bought a speaker, uh, like a bookshelf speaker. Um, and there was a the hole the size of my head in the box and it's not a big box. I mean, it's, the box itself is two sizes of my head. So half the box is gone and I look at it and the entire back panel of the bookshelf speaker is gone. Either someone wow. just curb stomped it or ran it over with the car or something. <laughs> okay. okay. So tell me um, about, uh, you've got some, uh, other additive news about uh, shipping a lot of parts. Yeah. Big news from uh, 3DEO who, uh, I'm sure their company is constantly mispronounced as like 3DO, but 3DEO, um, they recently, uh, well, huge company in industry, if you don't know already or don't know by now, huge, huge metal additive company in our industry. Yep. Uh, and they're so huge. In fact, they just announced, I say just, was that two days ago? I think it was Monday. Um, they just announced that they have officially shipped their first 150,000 parts. Wow, that's awesome. Um, that's a big milestone. And it, it, Wild. We're talking metal additive parts, 150,000. Yeah. Um, metal additive is still like, you know, pretty uh, uh, smoke and not smoke and mirrors. That's the wrong. It's still pretty uh, nascent advanced early. technology. You know, it's, it's still some <laughs> exotic stuff going sure, on sure. with metal additive. But to have, dare I say, mass produced 150,000 metal additive parts, it's wild. And and the, uh, the president of 3DEO, Matt Sand, uh, is on record quoted that uh, their goal is to get not only into like the 1 million, but into the millions of parts by next year. That's awesome. That's great. News. Which is a, an awesome goal. And, it's and good. I, I'm pulling for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to see that, you know, they're on a system where there's a need for that, right? There's someone asking yeah. for 120, 100,000 parts. And then pretty soon there'll be a need for a million parts that yeah, can, and, and there's definitely a need for it out there because the yeah. metal AM industry is 130 billion <laughs> in the U.S. alone. Yep, and so connecting it back to uh, the New Era assessment articles that you know they've been producing that part uh, for over about four years now. So I think you mentioned about since 2016 that mm -hmm. they've been producing that profitably for the past couple of years, and I think that's really good, uh, robust um, business sense. That yeah, you anyone in manufacturing could produce one thing one time. But to right. produce it so the business stays intact for that long, I think that's really awesome. Great. The English about that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the English, uh, you know, I think a lot of auto reporters have said, or uh, auto journalists have said that, you know, the English make the perfect cars. Sure. But if you ask them to make more than one of it, <laughs> it's a problem. Sweat. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I've got an article here on, uh, it's, a, it's a mix of technologies. Uh, so, it's a research group that uh, incorporated computer vision into um, robotic prosthetics, uh, but also they oh. added uh, uncertainty information to the artificial intelligence that the prosthetic is using to help actuate it itself. Uh, so the underlying thing is it's great that they did the uh, computer vision in, in the prosthetic, 
but the uh, what they're allowing the artificial intelligence model to do is if a class can't classify something, it takes a step back and asks the user for assistance. Uh, this has been a concern of some uh, concern of mine for, for some time. Is a lot of the AI models that have been incorporated is if it doesn't know what to do, it classifies it into the wrong location. It doesn't put it into an unknown area, um, and I think that's one thing that the uh, data scientists use in the development of the algorithm. But once it's in uh, production mode, it's something that is missed. Um, so in this case, the the use case in this article is a robotic uh, prosthetic uh, with a vision system that's driving its behavior. The goal is to, of this integration is to make the robotic prosthetic and or exoskeleton uh, mm -hmm. walk safer and appear more natural to the user. Uh, so if this is traversing terrain, it allows the user or the uh, prosthetic to adjust itself as it's moving up and down stairs or uneven terrain. Uh, so I've got a couple of quotes here from the uh, researcher. So we came up with a better way to teach deep learning systems how to evaluate and quantify uncertainty in a way that allows the uh, system to incorporate insert uncertainty into its decision making. Um, uh, this is certainty relevant. This is certainly relevant for robotic prosthetics, where uh, but our work uh, here could be applied to any uh, type of deep learning system. So it's looking ahead. You know, if the person's walking, they incorporate it, say, in a knee, right? They have a, a prosthetic in a, uh, for a lower lower uh, lower limb, and it's looking ahead, maybe looking at the sidewalk, and it's uh, helping the uh, actuation of the system determine where it needs to step. Yeah. Uh, if the degree of uncertainty is too high, the AI, AI isn't forced to make a questionable decision. It could instead notify the user that it doesn't have enough confidence in its prediction to act, um, or it could create a default safe mode. I found this really interesting that, uh, and the article came from Tech Explorer, uh, that it's it's incorporating the best of both worlds, right? The AI's doing 80% of the work, but in the few corner cases where it's like, I don't know what to do, let me just not make a bad decision here, it refers back to the human, which I've seen a couple of use cases, actually. There was a use case that I've seen um, a couple of years ago where uh, a robotic company was integrating, um, say, uh, sorting of, like, T-shirts. Mm -hmm. They had a bunch of T-shirts coming in. Their, uh, the robotic arm with the vision system was sorting into the correct bins. Um, and a couple of them. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, anytime it ran into an issue... Uh, the system was monitored by a remote user where the remote user could tap in uh, and say, yes, put this in a specific location or this is the this is where it's supposed to belong or this is the classifier. This is a blue shirt. This is where it's supposed to go. The user stepped in and said, this is the information. And it took that in, uh, information and put it back into the algorithm. So I find this a really interesting approach for uh, implementing artificial intelligence uh, into the production world to make it. Uh, to complement human uh, in their day-to-day uh, -day activities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why don't we end up with the article you got on 4D printing? Okay. Um, man, I'm still thinking that that's wild. I like that. Um, 4D printing. So saw this article from miragenews.com. They said, lab makes 4D printing more practical. Um, and the first thing that I think most people uh, are, are asking themselves, dude, what is 4D printing? What's our fourth dimension? You know, you got XYZ, what's number four? Right. And fortunately, to answer everybody's question, uh, 
you can watch a video if you click on the link <laughs> below. But uh, they they are basically doing regular 3D printing with materials that like meta materials or um, uh, smart materials that react to some sort of other input. So the the video the, like it's like a minute and twenty second video that shows parts that were 3D printed. I, they look like polymer parts, sure. um, but, you know, printed parts, but they react to either um, light sources and light and different light intensities mm-hmm. uh, and change shape based on the light they're exposed to or heating and cooling. Sure. So their temperature and uh, light reactive uh, parts. Um, and it made me kind of think that, you know, uh, Toyota has been doing this since the eighties <laughs> with the Camry, you know, Yo. people, around everywhere and it's the toyota camry is a, a dent in like the rear uh you know quarter of the car and uh you know every, everybody's seen that youtube video of you just take a pot of boiling water and you throw it on the big dent <laughs> in the back of a plastic bumper and it pops right out it looks like nothing ever happened meta materials man been around since the 1980s on meta materials. <laughs> toyota's man toyota's more advanced than people think man, i tell you what that was my first adventures uh transitioning from uh, a young boy into a man <laughs> the yeah, drive around in a camry the old oldest square camera you could ever find yeah <laughs> that was fun times mandatory camry dent that's the, <laughs> the options checked off when you leave the dealership absolutely awesome steve this was a great episode where can they find more information about us easy amtnews.org slash subscribe that's awesome. where uh, not only you could just go to amtnews.org to get all of this information, um, including the podcast and the description of the podcast, which will have links to all of the articles we talked about. Um, but amtnews.org slash subscribe will uh, allow our listeners to subscribe to all things AMT News related, including our weekly tech report. Awesome, Steve. That was great. Very well. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.